I feel like I have not been able to hang out with you guys in a while. It's been a while. So I'm glad to be back with you for one week, and I'm gone next week. Um, I'm excited about this summer. We're going to do, uh, did, y'all, did, did you tell them about the, what it is on the back of the card? Did you say something? I missed it. I was trying to figure out the rock, paper, scissor rules. But we're going to do experiencing the Psalms. I think you're going to really enjoy this. We're going to have a variety of different voices teaching uh, over the summer. And what we're going to be, uh, what we're going to be doing is really seeing how do we, uh, how do we interact with the Psalms. Um, the Psalms are, uh, I mean, all of Scripture is obviously for us to interact with, um, but the Psalms um, are, are are super relational for us. They allow us to, uh, it's, it's language for our relationship with God. And uh, so I think you're going to really enjoy them, not just the uh, the historical uh, understanding of, of where they came from and um, and what you know what's happening uh, in the midst of the Psalms, but also how they give language to uh, to our relationship with God and how we can pick those up and uh, be part of that. So I'm really excited. I'm excited for who you're going to hear from. You're going to hear from a lot of really good teachers this summer, and uh, and then I'm excited for the content. And then also you're going to get to in life groups. Uh, you're going to get to really dive into that uh, a lot more uh, in discussion with one another. So uh, that's going to be good. Really, uh, if you can, be here and, and be part of that as much as possible. I uh, I realized that the t-ball season is now almost over, and I haven't given you <laughs> stories in a long time. Um, so I, I was thinking of one for today. And this is, a, this is from a few games ago, but since I haven't been here uh, in, in a while or haven't talked with you in a while, I'll, I'll use it. Um, but this one's about Shiloh and a uh, little backstory over Christmas. Uh, my, uh, my wife's family was in town and we had this epic kickball uh, game over Christmas. And I mean, we saw some, uh, we, we almost had blood drawn a few times. Uh, I mean, it gets, it gets pretty intense. Um, and Lindsay like laid Shiloh out, pegged him pretty hard and laid him out. I mean, it, it was good. You know, you gotta, it was good. <laughs> go big or go home. And so anyway, so that's like, that was before T-ball. So that's my son's context of, of that, of baseball, I guess you could say. So anyway, and it was like our third or fourth game. Shiloh's playing shortstop and there's a guy on, uh, on second and the ball gets hit. Um, Shiloh is a slow uh, grounder. And so by the time Shiloh fielded it at shortstop, the other kid was, had already passed him. And so Shallow picks it up and we're everybody, you know, in, like I've told you in T-ball, the moment the ball's hit, it's just all this shouting, just everyone shouts random stuff. You know, it's like, you've got coaches saying one thing, moms and grandparents and dads are all shouting things. The other teams, people are all shouting for people to run. And I mean, it's just shouting. That's what T-ball is. It's just lots of shouting. And, uh, right. Madison, Madison was there in one game where I may have overdone the shouting, but, um, anyway, so all the shouting happens and, uh, Shiloh gets real excited, but the kids already passed him. And so he's trying to run him down to tag him and he's not going to make it. So Shiloh just goes boom and just smashes the kid with the ball thinking that that's how you can get somebody. I mean, nailed him. It was a perfect shot. Unfortunately, the kid was not called out because it's not kickball. So, uh, anyway, but I was really proud of him. I was, like that was a really good throw I didn't tell you though that you can't do that so anyway he was smiling he was pumped man he thought he got the kid out 
He was really not happy when they let him stay on third. <laughs> it's like, wait, wait, I hit you, you know. <laughs> anyway, oh, man. Oh, this last game, he, uh, he actually tagged a kid, and the umpire uh, missed it. And afterwards, you know, the kids don't get the concept of a blown call. You know, it's like all the parents do. Boy, they're after the umpire. Kids don't get it, so they go back in the dugout, and the umpire comes in. And we, we, we have an umpire that's really great, really works for the kids. And he comes in and he tells Shiloh, and I'm watching this conversation happen, and he's apologizing to Shiloh because he missed the call, which is kind of cool. But Shiloh's so confused. You know, it's like, this was like 12 batters ago. I have no idea what you're talking about. So Shiloh's face is just kind of like, what? Anyway, it was really funny. Okay, that's enough T-ball. That's it. That's it. That's all the T-ball talk. I'm, I'm done. We have a tournament that starts Monday, and then we'll lose the first game, and so we'll be done. So that'll be all the T-ball. Look, I, I'm realistic, okay? <laughs> I'm realistic. All right, we're going to be in, uh, in two different passages today. Uh, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. So we're going to look at both of those today. I, I was going to try and kind of flip back and forth, uh, but... I think that will be a little bit more difficult, so we're going we're gonna, to uh, just uh, take them each uh, separately and, and just try to, uh, uh, try to connect the themes. Um, so we'll start in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, but, but basically what, uh, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be comp- not really comparing these two passages, but we're going we're gonna to see what, uh, what each of them have in common. There's a theme in, in each of these passages that I think is, uh, is really interesting. Um, is pretty countercultural to, I think, the way that we think uh, about our faith, the way that we think um, about, uh, about even our connection with one another. And, uh, and I want to I draw that out this morning. The reason uh, that this is, uh, I think, just really uh, prevalent on my heart is because this has been, uh, if, if you guys have been around uh, here much, uh, you, you just may or may not know, this has just been, a, I'd say, a tough season in our church. We've uh, we've experienced some uh, some tragedy uh, and some difficulty. Lots of uh, lots of uh, health, unexpected health issues, and just different things going on uh, within within the body. That uh, things that have been um, unexpected. It's been a tough uh, season in that way. But what's come out of that um, has has really been good. Uh, what what's we've been able to experience as a church. Uh, relationally with one another, and then also what, what I would say we've been able to experience uh, of God's grace and his comfort in these times uh, has been really, really good as well. And so uh, this has really kind of come out of those, uh, of those experiences, and, uh, and so that's, that's why this is kind of on my heart and what I wanted to share with you, because uh, I think it's, it's real-life moments that let us look at these passages uh, in a little bit different context. So we're going to start in 2 Corinthians. I told you that a while ago, so you guys are already there. Let me go ahead and get there. And we're going to be in the first chapter. Okay. So what we're looking at today is really the context of our salvation. Um, that's, that's kind of what, what both passages are going, to, are going to be looking at, the context of our salvation and uh, how, do we, how do we connect uh, with others. I want you to notice um, the experiencing, you know, how is, how is Paul in both of these passages, how is he experiencing the comfort of Christ 
and the grace of Christ in the situations that he's describing. So I think you're going to, uh, I think you're going to be, um, maybe surprised by some of that, but the connection between the experience of the comfort and grace of God and, and what he's, uh, what he's describing in terms of sacrifice and in suffering. So let's just read this all together. Uh, we're going to start in the, in, uh, chapter one, verse one, I'm going to read through verse seven. This is Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother to the church of God that is at Corinth with the saints, um, who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse three, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So there's lots of comfort words there. I hope you track that. Verse five, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. So I want to spend a few minutes here in this passage, and then I want to spend a few minutes in the first chapter of Colossians, and let's just kind of look at the themes there. But Look in verse 3 and 4. Let's read those again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are uh, in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So the first thing I want you to see there is who is the source of their comfort? God is the source of the comfort. I think it's important for us to for us to see this because it it's it's relational with God. The word the word comfort there is is talking about, uh, and I think you can uh, kind of piece that together uh, contextually. But it's talking about like the way that you would comfort somebody uh, in in a moment of pain or in a moment of trial. Uh, it's not comfort as in uh, relaxation or leisure. Uh, what this is talking about. Um, is a comforting in the midst of pain, and he uses obviously in context. He's talking about he's talking about suffering, but he sees and don't don't move past this. Don't just hear this as a line that we say in church. But he he identifies the person of God as the source of comfort, and that's super important for us because I think if we examine our lives, we would find that we actually move quickly to other things uh, as a source of comfort. Uh, rather than moving to to the source of comfort, uh, which is God. If you think about moments in your life where, where maybe you've experienced pain, maybe you've experienced some tension in your life, some of the things we, we move to quickly, uh, and it would probably vary uh, for each person, but sometimes we move to human relationships quickly for comfort. Uh, sometimes that's not a good reaction. Sometimes we, we move, uh, human relationships become distorted because what we've, what we've placed on that person is the job that only God can do, which is to bring us deep comfort. And that relate, that's, not, that's not a fair expectation on that individual that you're, uh, that you're approaching and can sometimes perpetuate over a long period of time, can perpetuate uh, negative relationships. Sometimes we seek, I think we seek comfort in stuff. 
and you just fill in the blank on whatever that, whatever that is. Uh, but we seek, we seek comfort. And if I can just, basically it's the idea that if I can just change my surroundings, then I'll feel better about what's going on. But he immediately identifies that God is, and, and look at verse three, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of, what's that next word? Mercies. So he sees the character of God, the mercy of God is as a uh, reason why that God is the God of all comfort. And God is the one who comforts us in our affliction. So he's not just saying that I need to go to God for affliction. He's saying that God will comfort. It's a, it's a, it's a promise. Uh, it is something that we can be sure of that God will comfort us in all of our affliction. So we Im- immediately know that the perspective here is a perspective of suffering affliction. Okay, it, It's a perspective of sacrifice, but it's a, 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 a sacrifice that is filled by the comfort of God. Now, immediately, without even a break in the, in the thought, he turns this around. And, so, and those, so those words, so that, okay, they connect one thought to the other. You see it in verse uh, in verse four, he says, who comforts us in all of our affliction. That's a great thought. If we were to put a period there, that's a great thought. The God, the God of mercies comforts us in all affliction. There's not a period there. If there were a period there, it would create, it would create a very uh, individualized perspective of what God is doing in our life, right? It would be, it, God would be really just interested in me and the work that God is doing in me is very personal, Right? We like to talk like that. That's a, that's a real Western Christianity uh, idea. Of this we, we say this a lot, this personal relationship with Jesus. Everything's personal. Everything's individual. That's not really what's in here. Does God do a unique work? Obviously, in you, is it individual that he forgives you of your sin and brings you in a relationship with him? Yes, that, and it is deeply personal, uh, but it's, it doesn't stay that way. Salvation is not in a vacuum of individuality. Salvation is in the context of what God has been doing for eternity past and eternity future. Okay, And it connects with all of humanity. Okay, So we're, the, the idea even of the body of Christ is, immediately removes us from any idea of individualistic uh, Christianity. So uh, let's look at what he says. Comma. <laughs> He comforts us in all of our affliction so that, okay, so there's a purpose here, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Now, not with our own. It's important that he qualifies this as well. It's not with our own comfort, but we, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So there's this sense in which the, the comfort that God brings me, because God is a source of comfort. I can't, I can't find that resource anywhere else. The reason for that is, and, and I don't want to spend too much time there. I think I've already made the point a, a little bit. But the reason is that God is ultimately the one who has the perspective which can bring us comfort. Because comfort a lot of times is, is found in understanding you know, it's like we, what we want to do to bring ourselves comfort in the flesh, what we want to do is understand the situation and how it's going to turn out, right? Doesn't that make you all feel better? <laughs> like, even if it's going to be bad, I just want to know, just tell me it's coming, <laughs> right? 
just tell me it's coming. And there's a source of, there's a source of comfort there. So the reality is that there's no human being that can give us that comfort because there's no human being that has that divine perspective. The only reason that we can, that we can receive comfort from God is because God has divine perspective. He has this omniscient perspective that, and he is, we we say this a lot and he's sovereign. And so in trusting his character and his perspective, we can find comfort in him, though we lack the ability to know what's coming. But because we trust him and know that he has that perspective, it brings us comfort. And that is the perspective from which we share the comfort that God brings us to others. Our comfort does not come in the form of, it's, it's okay, Ethan, let me give you my human perspective on your situation. That's not what Paul's saying. He's saying, this is the comfort that I've received from God. And then the, the, there's, a, there's a way in which I share that with you. And I think we do this Often, sometimes we receive comfort from God and we get a little full of ourselves and we try to bring human comfort to someone else. But what he's saying is that we get to, that, the, that in community, we actually all are participating in the same comfort that God, and it's God's comfort that he brings us. But that's not a, that's not a very natural flesh reaction in your suffering and your hardship and your affliction to reach out, is it? That's not, a, that, that's not a quick reaction for us. If we're thinking about in our, being in our flesh, that's not a reaction for us is I'm hurting, let me see how I can help you. Right? That's not typically where we go, but this is, this is the kingdom perspective of affliction. That in affliction, in the kingdom, I can receive comfort from God and even as I'm being comforted, I can be giving that away. That's pretty cool. That's a distinction in the kingdom. That's a distinction that should be known in the body of Christ in the midst of suffering. That's what I'm saying over these last uh, few months, even as recently as this, this last week. Uh, we had a family here at our church that experienced a tragic loss of their, uh, of their child. And in the midst of it, you're watching God comfort them. And at the same time, they're giving it away. That's... That's a, a bold declaration of the power of God. That when it's real, this isn't just theory. When it's really happening, when they're really walking in hardship and suffering, they're blessing others in the midst of it. And it's a, it, it's a distinguishing factor between the body of Christ and uh, a lost and dying world. And it brings hope. Um, so there's, there, that, that's the way that, that giving comfort away works um, in the kingdom. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. That, that as we're participating, so I think the, the point that, uh, that Don's making, correct me if I'm wrong, is, um, is that we can give this comfort away. And it's not that giving that away is not exclusive just to the body of Christ. That we can actually bring the comfort of God to others who don't know him as a vehicle of them knowing him. Right. And, and that's another, and that's a great point. It's another thing that we've seen um, just in, in these families that, that have been walking through this in our church, 
um, is it's been an incredible tool because people are astounded when you're going through junk and you're blessing them in the middle of it. Um, and it is, it's an incredible opportunity to, uh, to reach the loss. That's a great point. Okay, so verse, uh, let's get our momentum back here. I don't like being too choppy. Blessed be the, uh, verse three, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we, listen to this, share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. So through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. Now I want, I want you to see this. I think this is really, really, really important because it gives us right perspective on suffering. Okay. So, uh, what he, what he does is he, he defines suffering as something that's normal. So as we share abundantly in, in Christ's sufferings, he creates a normality to suffering, which is good for us to understand. If we didn't have that perspective of, of, of a level of suffering that is, that is um, attached to uh, following Christ, we could very, 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 very quickly uh, run into this vein of theology that just says being a Christian means blessing and that's it. And I equate that blessing, obviously it does mean blessing, but I equate that blessing with a lack of suffering rather than blessing in the midst of suffering. And to be a disciple of Jesus is to participate in Christ's uh, sufferings. But I, I love this because it, it turns, this is another kingdom perspective, because suffering, how does he, how does he see suffering here? as an opportunity to also share abundantly in the comfort that is from God. Now, again, this is not comfort as in lack of suffering. This is more like consoling, understanding, perspective in the midst of suffering. But I want you to think about it. If you disconnect these two things, then it, meaning if you say, okay, then maybe my goal is that for there to be no suffering. I want to just want to reject suffering. There's a sense in which you, you get the idea that he's saying you're going to miss the huge opportunity and blessing of experiencing the depths of the person of God who comforts us in the midst of suffering. Suffering is not something to be feared. It's something that should be part of our normal perspective. We don't need to try to control when and how it comes, but it should not shock us when and if it comes, but it should be joy to us because it's an opportunity to experience the depth of the person of God who comforts us in all our suffering. So as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, I love this, we share abundantly. That means like more than enough in his comfort. And if, if our goal is to have a play it safe discipleship, I want to tell you, you're going to miss a huge piece of the character of God that you could get to know that is really only accessed in difficulty. It's really only, and I say access, I, I mean more experienced is probably a better word um, in difficulty. It doesn't mean we need to be the author of our own suffering, but we ought to see suffering in the Christian life as normal an opportunity to experience the depths of God's comfort. So, so Paul here says that there is no amount of suffering that can extend the reach of God's comfort. 
So as we share abundantly in suffering, we also share abundantly in comfort. Those two things are going to walk side by side in the kingdom. So suffering and joy always go together in the kingdom. They can't, and there's not more suffering than there is joy. (laughs) That's really cool. So look at verse six. Here we go. Now here we're going to, we're going to be pushed a little bit and then we'll, yeah, we're doing good. Then we're going to jump into Colossians. He says, if we are afflicted, it is for what? What's the word? Your. Uh Uh-oh. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort. Okay, here's what I want you to do. These next few sentences, I want this to really, I want you to ask yourself, is this my perspective? Okay. Is this my kingdom worldview? If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. This is going to bridge the gap for us into Colossians chapter 1. But what I want you to see here in verse 6 and verse 7 is a shared experience of both suffering and affliction and of comfort. And that in neither of those is he withdrawing himself from the sharing of that experience. Do you see it? There's not a sense in which he's saying, if, if we're suffering, we're going to deal with that. And then when we're comforted, we'll bring you that comfort. And there's, not, there's also not this sense where he's saying, well, only when we're suffering can we, can we bring uh, anything to you but also you will get to share in our comfort as we collectively walk in discipleship and accumulate this suffering of Christ. We will also experience, we together will experience the comfort that comes from God. And there's, a, there's, there's this idea of the sharing of these things. Now, how could this be possible? What, is, what does he mean when he says sharing? This is an interesting uh, idea and and I'll tell you it's only experienced in the kingdom because in the kingdom we are united and one so if we weren't united and one if there wasn't this miracle of the body of Christ and you got to realize the, the tremendous miracle that that is that God has connected us by the blood of Jesus all the dividing walls have been torn down and we are one. There's, there's total unity. We're connected with one another uh, in, a, in a deeper way than just we're in the same room and we go to the same church, right? We're not just wearing the same t-shirt and that's our connection. We're connected in a spiritual way in the body of Christ that Paul describes as this, he describes it as a physical body that's unified with the head being Christ Jesus, Okay. If that were not the case, then our only experience of sharing would be like, Bryn, let me tell you what I'm going through and let me hope that you can somewhat identify with what I'm saying. You got it? And she would have to, based on her perspective, just kind of go, okay, you know, I, I hear you. I'm sorry. And we call it, you know, Christian comfort. I'm sorry. I'll pray for you. Right? Right? That would be all we were left with if there wasn't this miracle of unity. But what, what God has done by uniting us in Christ is he, and, and then, you know, then we look at the, what the scripture tells us and we read things like, and this has been prevalent for us these last few years, we read things like rejoice with those who are rejoicing, 
mourn with those who mourn, sharing in comfort, sharing in suffering. Paul says in, in, um, when he's talking about the body of Christ, that as one hurts, everyone hurts. And it's not because I'm telling you how bad I'm hurting. It's because your experience of suffering also brings the same experience of suffering to me. And in your rejoicing, I'm not rejoicing because, because way to go, Bryn. I'm rejoicing because we are, we're connected in the body and her victory is my victory. Right? It's not hers and I get to be at the party. It's ours. In the same way that that suffering is ours. And and, and you guys probably have all, I'm sure have all all been there. We all have these moments where we are in deep heartache with, with one another. And there is, in the body of Christ... When it's with believers, there is a sense in which, you, I mean, you walk away and you don't know how to des- describe it except for, I, I know that I'm hurting with their hurt. And in the same way, like over this last week, so we went and visited that family I was talking about last Sunday. And I was sat in the living room with them and we cried with them and, uh, and experienced the, the, the pain that they were, that they were feeling. But also, as they just expressed their hope in the Lord, you felt that too. I was strengthened like it was my own by listening to them go, but we're going to trust the Lord. But God is good. They had just lost a child. God is good. And in me, I walked away, and Lindsay and I were talking about, we felt just this deep strength that came from that because it wasn't just them. They weren't isolated in their pain. That in the same way we experienced their pain, we also experienced the strength and that comfort that God was giving them and it girded us up for whatever is, you know, is coming. And so the, the unity of the body of Christ allows us to not suffer independently. It allows us to suffer together. And in the same way, it allows us to experience the depth of God's goodness and the depth of his comfort together, right? And it totally eliminates all selfishness, doesn't it? Because everything is we, right? Everything is us. Everything is, is we in, in, in uh, sharing and suffering and in comfort. Okay, so just kind of capture 2 Corinthians 1 in your brain and then go to Colossians. And I, they're not going to say the same thing. Uh, so we're not doing like compare and contrast here. I think they just go well together. And I want us to see how they elaborate on one another. Is that fair? So not as much to say here in Colossians, but I think it uh, really highlights some of the things that Second Corinthians says as well. Colossians is, is small. A little book in there. I'll give you a couple of moments for you paper people that you like get all the way to Revelation. It's like, Ugh! and then you flip back and you're back in like Ephesians. It's like, <laughs> those little books, <laughs> those small letters, <laughs> just teasing. Man, I always, I, I had friends in uh, like elementary school that had, the, anybody have one of the Bibles with the tabs? Where y'all at? Where are your tab people at? Anybody in here can show me that? You have it? Let me see. Oh, I was not saying <laughs> Cheater! <laughs> just kidding. But I was always like, why do I not have the tabs? I'm like flipping. Oh, I just need the tabs. Or memorize it and be more spiritual. Okay. <laughs> Colossians chapter one. <laughs> oh man. All right. Colossians chapter one. 
So here we go. So let's kind of lock back into that same mindset and let's listen to what the book of Colossians has to say. Verse 24. It says, now I rejoice. There's that joy we were talking about. I rejoice in my sufferings and look how quickly this turns around for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Look at verse 29. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Okay, a couple things I want you to see here. We're going to go through this one a little bit faster. First in verse 24, I rejoice in my sufferings. Now, this part where he talks about filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, that doesn't mean that Christ didn't suffer enough and that, that Paul is, sees himself as somehow like completing what Christ didn't do. That, that's not what he's saying here. Most scholars believe that, so within the, uh, the Hebrew mindset at this point, there's this idea of the, of the suffering of the Messiah and then the, the, an age of suffering that was, that was to come. So what, these, what he's talking about is he's talking about his experience of the suffering that comes with following Messiah. Okay? So he's not, when he says filling up what is lacking, it's almost like the suffering that is due to me because of who I've chosen to follow would be a, maybe a way that we, would, that we would say it. So I just want to clear up maybe any confusion there. But that's not what we want to focus on. Okay? First thing I want you to see, first, well, second thing I want you to see, but after this, so the first one is rejoice in my sufferings. So there's that joy we talked about. We've already talked about that, so I'm not going to stay there long. Look at verse 25. So he says, uh, he's sharing in Christ's afflictions, of which I became a minister according to the, what's the word there? Stewardship from God that was given to me, what? For you. For what purpose? To make the word of God fully known. Mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. So, something I really want you to see here is I want you to see, again, our question was, what is the context in which he sees his salvation? And what is the context in which we see ours? This is really interesting. He says, I became a minister. And the idea is that, that God called me, and we know Paul's story, God called me uh, to, to be uh, a proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus, okay? That he is the Messiah to, to follow him and that to be, being to Jew and to Gentile. And, but he says, this happened, I became a minister according to the stewardship of God. Now, to be a good steward of something, what do you have to do? Let's just throw this around a little bit. What do you have to be, a, I mean, to be a good steward of your finances? Let's just, we, we, we like to talk about that. What does it take to be a good steward of your finances? Okay, it takes some discipline. What else? Budgeting. To all parents, they said, way to go, Bryn. <laughs> what? What? 
careful watch. Yeah, you got to know what's there, right? You got to know inventory, right? Because you wouldn't be a good steward of your finances if you spent more than you had because you didn't know what you had or what you were spending. And they all said, amen, millennials. Okay, (laughs) right? Right? Look at the way that he views his salvation. He says, I became a minister according to the stewardship of God. You think God's a good steward of his resources? They're endless, yet he's a good steward. That's a, that's a cool paradigm, right? God has an infinite amount of everything. He's the author of everything, yet he uses it perfectly, and he's a good steward. I love that. So what he sees is he sees the stewardship of God, God's choosing, God's plan, God's precision in calling him to be a minister of this gospel, not, he doesn't say, I'm so glad that according to the stewardship of God that I have a personal relationship with Jesus. Woo! Okay? I can get a little borderline sarcastic there, so if I offended you, I'm sorry. But he doesn't see it in individualistic isolation, right? He says, the stewardship of God. So the working of God's grace towards me which I've received, has allowed me to come into this ministry of preaching the gospel for you. He sees the the stewardship of God being, I called you for that person over there. That what I, the, the work that I've done in your life, that according to God's stewardship, is not even really for you. I mean, great, you're in, right? But it's, it's for the person next to you. It's because of, the, of what God wants to do through you according to what God has done in you. You see it? It's not an isolated work of salvation. It's, a, it's the stewardship of God's grace because your salvation is connected to the next person's salvation. To the encouragement of the person next to you. He says the stewardship of God called me a minister for you. For your sake. Listen, is that what we see our faith as? Do you see the stewardship of God in your life? First of all, do you see that? Do you see the precision of God in calling you out and in your salvation? Do you see that? That it's according to the stewardship of God. He knows what he's doing. And can you say that my salvation is according to the stewardship of God for your sake? That really challenges our very individualistic, personal viewpoint where we practice our faith in a closet. Uh, That's not the way that Paul saw things. I became a minister according to stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Okay, um, we're gonna move a little faster here. To them God chose to make known how great uh, among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. All right, so you got it? So that's the context. That's what he's preaching. That's what he's proclaiming. This mystery that was hidden and is now revealed to his saints, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's all about Jesus. Verse 28, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Okay, this is the work. Like This is the practical work of this ministry that he says he's, he became a minister. So this is the working of that ministry. So what's he doing? Him we proclaim, proclaiming Jesus, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone what? Mature in Christ. Now look at the follow-up sentence, okay? You ready? For this I, what's the word? Where's your toil? 
right? The goal, he doesn't say, and again, this is going to challenge us, I think, a little bit. He doesn't say, for this I toil, referring to becoming a really good Christian, right? I think this is why some of, I think this is why there's a misfire for a lot of us in the practicing of spiritual disciplines because it's aimed at us being better Christians, right? I want to get better at being a Christian. That's not a bad thing. Like if you're going to walk into church and go, I want to be a really good Christian, I'm not going to say, get out, right? <laughs> you fool. That's not, that, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but what I'm saying is he, he, he sees the toil and the work of what God has done in him, the working out of it, so that he can help present others mature in Christ. You see it? The work, the labor is on behalf of the person next to you. Mostly for us, we see the work and the labor as, I want to be the best Christian I can be. But according to the scriptures, being the best Christian you can be is laying your life down as a sacrifice on behalf of those around you whether believer or not, present everyone mature. There's no exclusion here. If you don't know Jesus and the goal is for you to be mature in Christ, you better know Jesus, right? It doesn't exclude those who don't know him. Don't use that and go, oh good, finally relief. I don't have to go to the outside world. No, (laughs) it's not the way it works. For this I toil. Now look at this. I love, love, love this. Struggling. How many of you knew you signed up for that? Toil and struggle. Surprise. Okay, so the point is presenting everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling, and I love this word, with. Right? You got to struggle with something. Where's that going to come from? Where's the steam going to come from for you to be able to wake up every day with this perspective of serving other people? Where's the energy going to come from for that? Because it's going to require substance in order to do it. Ever served anybody else? I'm not trying to like call you out. No, actually never. I don't know. That's not what I'm, but it, it takes a rejection of your flesh to do it. It takes a fighting of this little voice in you that says, you are the most important thing that's going to happen today. What you want is what you ought to be after. That's what your flesh is constantly saying. To serve somebody else, for me to pour myself out on Bryn's behalf, especially in suffering, requires me to silence that voice that says, you're the most important thing on the planet. And the only thing that allows me to do that is the Spirit of Christ working in me and my submission to that Holy Spirit. So here's what he says. This is why it's so important. The only way he can do it. For this I toil struggling with. What is the source of his energy to toil and struggle? With all his energy, right? You see it? Who's his? Not Paul, right? It's Christ's energy that he gives me just enough of to get by. Isn't that what it says? Listen listen to the next words. That he powerfully works, where? Within me. Come on, that's really good news for us. Because what we're not seeing is we're not seeing God asking us, hey, I really want you to pour your life out on behalf of somebody else. Good luck. I hope you have enough human capacity to do it. Right? What God's saying is, I'm I'm calling you to live totally in rejection of yourself. 
but know this, that I have given you everything you need in order to do it. Come on. The source of energy, we're not trying to get like all Zen weird here, right? The spirit of God is a powerful force in us and is the source of strength that we need in order to reject ourselves regardless of what's going on in your life and serve others. So that they might be presented as mature in Christ. If you've ever tried to do that, and I have, we probably all have had moments. If you ever try to present someone else mature in Christ based on you, you get tired quick, and you know what? You end up really frustrated with the person across from you. <laughs> Won't you just be more like Jesus, right? Because I'm sick of this, right? You're a hard case, right? And that's why we have, to, we have to know that the source of that strength in order to pour my life out constantly so that others might be mature in Christ, that source of strength is the Spirit of God who he's put in us and does not run out, right? It's not gonna go away. Just like the measure of joy is always there, that measure of strength by the Spirit of God is always there. That I never leave you, I will never leave you or forsake you is not just like Jesus will be my friend forever, kind of in this like off sense. Like he's in us. He's woven himself into the fabric of our being. And he will never leave you. You'll never be apart from him. That the resources of heaven are within you and will never leave, regardless of what's in front of you. So when we hear God's call and God's commission to lay our lives down on behalf of our brothers and sisters, on behalf of the lost world, we get, to, we get to say, great. Now the work is deny myself in order to do it and experience the power of Christ. Remember when I said, you will not experience the provision of God in the depth that you could, lest you deny yourself. Because in denying yourself, you'll find the resources of heaven. If you don't ever deny yourself, you're never going to have to rely on the spirit of God that is in you. And you'll miss a huge gift of being a believer. You'll miss a huge gift of experiencing the depth of provision of God on the inner man. If all you do is just hold on to you. Right? And that's, that's the beauty of the paradox of, of, of what he's saying. It's like there's full joy. I rejoice in my sufferings. That's a foolish statement, right? Except for in the kingdom of heaven, right? So maybe just go back over those passages a little bit. Uh, Maybe just kind of review them both together, read them both again. Uh, I, I I really think that has to become our worldview, right? I think it has to become our worldview if we're going to really love and serve each other in the, in the way that God is, is calling us to, is you have to constantly see the work that God is doing in you as connected to the person next to you. It matters for Ethan what God's doing in my life. I have to, and I have to see that, okay? Cool? Agree? All right. Well, God, help us to see the way that you see. And we just thank you that there is a storehouse of resources in us by your spirit that you promised to never leave us and forsake us, that you promised to do everything that you've called us into, that our job is to submit. Our job is to abide. Um, And so 
God, we don't want to shrink uh, the call that you've put on us. We don't, we don't want to individualize our salvation, and, um, and we don't want to step back from any suffering or, or any laying down of our lives on behalf of one another. So God, would you help us to, to frame our lives in that perspective as a pouring out of ourselves for the maturity of Christ in somebody else? Would you help us to have that perspective and then help us to depend on your spirit in order to do it? Because it is impossible in our flesh. I can't be unselfish in my flesh. I need you, Holy Spirit, in order to do this work that God has asked um, of us. So I pray that we would trust you and I pray that in trusting you, we would find over and over and over again how you are faithful to provide. And we thank you that you do it regardless of what we're facing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, you guys are dismissed. I'll see you in a couple weeks.